Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister begins his overseas trip as part of a campaign for a seat on the UN Security Council. We're seen as uh, defenders of liberal democracy, of human rights, of gender equality, and that is really valued as well. So it's not just a factor of our, of our ODA commitments, but we don't compare well. And historically, there's a very strong correlation between investments in foreign aid and uh, likelihood of getting that Security Council seat. Quebec's Premier accuses the Prime Minister of insulting Quebecers by allowing federal funds to be used in a court challenge against Bill 21. I can understand that he's against Bill 21, but I'm asking him again to respect a decision that has been taken by a majority of Quebecers, by a nation, so it's important if we respect Quebec as a nation that we respect this uh, nation. And a Conservative MP claims a leadership campaign is offering nominations in exchange for support. Mr. Reid's point was, not only is this undemocratic to the grassroots members, but it basically says to incumbent MPs, I will put someone in your job if you do not support me. It's Friday, February the 7th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Althea, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. So the Prime Minister is off to Africa. This is all part of a bid to secure a seat on the UN Security Council, something that the government has been talking about for a long time. But many people are saying it's unlikely to happen, that this is a long shot. Canada got into the game late in competing with other countries for this position. If that's the case, is there some risk in it for the Prime Minister in putting himself out there and making it clear he wants this seat and he's campaigning for it? What happens if he doesn't get it? Well, I think the risk existed whether or not he was making this kind of like last-ditch effort. The vote's going to be in mid-June. Uh, for this council seat, because he personally knows it. It was part of like, you know, back in 2015, 2016, the whole Canada is back uh, foreign policy. We were going to be like reclaim a role as a middle power. Basically, it was going to be like personian. And that clearly, obviously, is not what we've done. Our contribution to foreign development has not reached the UN target of 0.7. We're still actually a little bit below 0.3. Um, Ireland is not a 0.7 either, but they have announced that they have a plan to get there. Uh, Norway is above. It's about 1%. We are, between Norway and Ireland, uh, we contribute the fewest number of peacekeepers. I think we only have actually 45 UN peacekeepers at the moment. Um, You know, we obviously have a huge contingent with NATO, for example, but UN peacekeeping is not something we tend to do as much. And when we have done it, which we did with Mali, it took a really long time for that mission to get up and running, as you'll recall. And when it was announced, it was going to be 600 people and there was going to be this huge effort. And that's not actually what ended up happening in Mali. And then when the UN asked us to stay, what did the Trudeau government say? They said no. They Basically, they were concerned that there was going to be an election and maybe it was going to be dangerous and somebody could die during the campaign. And they decided to pull out before the writ dropped. And we are not a huge player. So when it comes to things that people care about in terms of like UN objectives, Ireland and Norway definitely have a leg up against us. Mm. So what do we have? We have the Francophonie in Africa, which does matter. Some Commonwealth ties also can matter, but it's also about our investments in the continent, uh, which actually there have been uh, several from Chrétien and Martin to Harper to Trudeau. 
And so Mr. Trudeau is going to Africa to basically remind a lot of African countries, what have we done? He's going to use the fact that there's an African Union meeting to do bilaterals. The government has yet to tell us who exactly he'll be meeting with. Um, there may be some meetings that they don't want to publicize before the fact. He might be meeting with uh, some dictators that perhaps they don't want national media to take pictures of. Um, but basically, he's shopping for votes, and that's what the trip to Africa is about. All right, let's turn to Bill 21, which is back in the news. The Quebec government has accused the federal government of supporting people who are fighting against it within Quebec, although a large school board in Montreal is saying they didn't take the support from the federal government for their legal challenge. So once again, we're talking about this contentious law and the legal issues surrounding it. Basically, this issue has been dominating question period for a few days now. The Black at first was asking whether the Trudeau government had um, basically dictated or would would create some space between the decision that the Court Challenges Program made to support this bid by the um, Montreal English School Board. Um, And the government, in their initial response, was to say the Court Challenges Program is independent and that decisions made by it are not dictated by the federal government. The federal government has nothing to do with their decisions. But the government never said, we disagree with their decision or or that we don't support their decision. And I think that that is what led Francois Legault, the premier of Quebec, to come out basically swinging on Thursday and attack Justin Trudeau over this decision. And then in a bizarre about face, it seemed to not make much sense. Um, the school board came out and said, uh, we're not going to accept the money that the court challenges program gave us, but we're still going to fight Bill 21. So the school board is basically under receivership of the Quebec government. And there were a lot of questions to the Liberal government on Thursday about whether or not Uh, They had interfered or put pressure on the school boards. And Pablo Rodriguez, the Liberal House leader, said, absolutely not. We had nothing to do with this decision. So it is interesting. The Court Challenges program clearly wants to support this. Um, It is unclear at this time why the school board decided to reject the offer of money, which they had applied for. And their lawsuit um, on Bill 21 claiming that it discriminates Uh, between the sexes, as in like there are more female teachers who are impacted by this rule because, you know, Muslim women who wear the hijab, for example, are no longer able to teach in publicly funded schools. Um, And that's discriminatory. That case is still going, but they're not taking any federal Mm. money to do it. All right. Let's talk about the conservative leadership race, because yesterday, conservative MP Scott Reid raised an interesting allegation. He says that he has heard that one of the leadership candidates is promising people who support him or her that if they do so, they won't have to contest their nominations in the next in their ridings in the next federal election. What's going on here? What's the latest on this? It was very interesting. So Scott Reid, who um, I don't know if this is well, this is this may be my opinion. It's kind of like the keeper of the flame of a lot of um, traditions of the old Reform Party. So right. Scott Reed is part of class of 2000. And I think he and Cheryl Gallant may be the uh, longest tenured conservatives now in the caucus. Um, 
Scott Reed is an independent thinker, somebody who's not afraid to go against the party line, but explains his reasons why when he does it. And somebody who is fervently uh, a champion of MPs' right to speak their minds. And so uh, what we saw on Thursday is basically he did not call out who had done this, but he said his colleagues had informed him that one of the leadership, the main leadership challengers, so Aaron O'Toole, Peter McKay, Marilyn Gladue, were um, telling people to support them. If they supported them, they would prompt, he would, or she, looks more like a he, but would promise them uh, a uncontested nomination. And Mr. Reed's point was, not only is this undemocratic to the grassroots members, but it basically says to incumbent MPs, I will put someone in your job if you do not support me. Right. And this is absolutely unfair with his point and needs to be called out. And very quickly, Marilyn Gladie was the first out of the gate saying, I completely disavow this. This is absolutely undemocratic. Aaron O'Toole followed suit, John Williamson, and Peter McKay. And Mr. Reed has refused to say who he was talking about. And now all those leadership candidates have said, uh, we don't think this is right. So we don't really know um, hmm. who is to blame uh, for uh, the potential that this was happening. Maybe it was, you know, to be generous, maybe it Maybe people misunderstood what was what was being traded. Who knows? But um, I'm sure, you know, it is politics. It is Ottawa. Eventually we will know the truth. Um, but it is it is interesting that such deals obviously are being done in the background. Yeah. All right, Althea, great to have your comments on all these topics. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You too, Mark. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast. We're seen as uh, defenders of liberal democracy, of human rights, of gender equality, and that is really valued as well. So it's not just a factor of our, of our ODA commitments, but we don't compare well. And historically, there's a very strong correlation between investments in foreign aid and uh, likelihood of getting that Security Council seat. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Derek Burney, argues Canada should forget the UN Security Council. Bernie writes, Canada is expending a good deal of energy trying to win a non-permanent seat on the United Nations Security Council. But should we? Can anyone cite a recent example of a Security Council success on a major global issue? The truth is that the Security Council is anything but a hotbed of activity or inspiration on the global scene. It's more notable for the crises it avoids than those it gets involved with. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason considers why Tory leadership hopefuls aren't talking about climate change. Mason writes, This group is trying to win over the party base, not the nation as a whole. And if you're trying to get elected as leader of the Conservatives, you do not speak too loudly about climate change. While the strategy for the leadership race is one thing, it could become something else entirely in the months that follow, at least if the Conservatives hope to get enough votes to form government. In McLean's, Frank Graves and Michael Valpe argue the Conservative Party's moderate centres have disappeared. They write, The ability to find centre terrain on divisive issues is disappearing. This is not unique to Canada. You can hear it in post-Brexit England, in Trump's America, and now in Aaron O'Toole's proclamation that with him at the party helm, the Conservatives will take back our great country. 
You can hear it in Peter McKay, contrasting his masculinity to the Prime Minister's. It's the face of authoritarian populism that is largely driving the new conservatism in Canada. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Ottawa resident Hassan Diab and his lawyer will be holding a news conference this morning on Parliament Hill to give an update on Diab's lawsuit against the Canadian government. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Parliament Hill, Hassan Diab and his lawyer, Guy Pratt, will speak with reporters about their upcoming multi-million dollar lawsuit against the federal government. Hassan Diab is the Ottawa sociology professor who was arrested in 2008 at the request of French authorities. They accused him of being responsible for a bombing in Paris in 2000, which killed four people. Diab always protested his innocence and presented testimony that he was not even in Paris at the time. After six years under restrictive bail conditions, the Canadian government extradited him to France, even although the, the presiding Canadian judge found that the evidence against him, largely handwriting evidence which was contradicted by experts, was, quote, weak and unlikely to lead to a conviction. After four years in jail in, a par- in Paris, including three years in solitary confinement, in 2018, the case against him collapsed and a French judge ordered him released. Last year, the federal government conducted a review, a study which produced 14 recommendations on how to improve Canada's extradition laws, but which also found that Canadian prosecutors had acted ethically. Diab, however, calls the inquiry a whitewash, and he says his life was put on hold for 10 years, his career and finances ruined, and his family suffered. He and his lawyer will outline their civil suit for damages for him and his family against the federal government this morning. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will arrive in Ethiopia. Minister of Diversity Bardish Chagger will attend the Fierté Canada Pride National Conference in Regina, Saskatchewan. And Heritage Minister Stephen Guibault will attend the Ice Dragon Boat Festival as part of Winterlude in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, February the 7th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.